is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Good morning, everybody. It's it's great to uh, be with you today. If you're Jubilee or Burton Family Church or joining us on one of the many ways on the World Wide Web, I've got a question for you to start off with. And that question is this. If you read the Bible, why do you read the Bible? It's not actually an unmute and call out your answers. I just want you to reflect on that. If if you read the Bible, why do you read the Bible? And I'd like you just to sit with that and maybe you can jot down some thoughts if you want, or you might remember what pops into your mind the first thing that comes in. I actually asked my life group this question a few days ago and uh, some really helpful responses have come through and they're peppered throughout what I'm going to share with you today. So uh, so let's start. So <clears throat> as, as Tim mentioned and as I have said, uh, my name is Rupert and I'm part of the team that helps lead Jubilee. And as many of you will know, I'm a teacher by trade. And at the start of each academic year, and to be honest, several times throughout, I find myself posing a question to my pupils and my classes saying, why do you do homework? If any, uh, if any school aged children are listening now, you might be thinking, oh, homework, I haven't had to think about that for two years. I apologise for mentioning it. But quite often the responses I get are, uh, well, sir, because you're telling me to do it. Or sir, because... Uh, I have to, or I'll get into trouble if I don't. And what I try and do is try and shift the mindset and say to um, say to the classes, actually, you're not doing the homework for me because I know these answers already. That's why I'm teaching you them. It's about you growing in your understanding. It's about improving your employability to try and get the best results you can, and so on and so forth. I'm sure many of you can imagine the sorts of things I would say. The reason I mentioned this at the very start is that I think sometimes as Christians, we can slip into viewing reading the Bible as mm, I, I'm doing it because I have to, uh, something I ought to do. And that have to can sometimes, dare I say, sometimes feel a bit reluctant. And what I'm confident is that we will see as we look at this passage in Nehemiah, we'll see that it's a different kind of have to. And that's what I'm hoping and praying for. There are going to be three P's. I'm going to do my best to keep it to a concise three P's in sermon. And I'm going to be thinking about priorities, about priests and people. So uh, let's let's make a start. Let's read together. If Nick, if you're happy to queue up the words, please. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, chapter eight. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And we'll jump to verse five. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. 
and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Marseah, Kelita, Azariah, Jozabad, Hanan, Peleah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law, while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Thank you so much for that, Nick. I'm going to, uh, if we can just go back to that, marvellous, thank you. So this, uh, this moment is a really significant moment in the history of the people of God. And what we find is it's often referred to as the covenant renewal ceremony. And it's a moment where the people are brought back and they have a reminder, a renewal of the sense of their connection, their relationship with God. And we're just going to stop and take stock for a moment because this is, this is a really significant moment. Opposition to the rebuilding of the walls and the gates has been overcome. The people of God have rallied to Nehemiah's shared vision and the one cause uniting them together. The walls have been rebuilt, so physical safety has been established, and the exiles have returned in great numbers rather than just the, the smaller quantities previously. So all the people, a lot of the people are back now. And I just want to submit to you folks that this was possible because Ezra, uh, sorry, because Nehemiah knew the word of God. You see, his reaction, we might, it might have faded from our memory a little bit. His, his reaction when he first heard that um, the remnant of the people was in trouble and the city gates uh, were destroyed and the walls broken was to acknowledge before God, we have not kept the commandments. And essentially he was saying, we, we haven't done as you commanded us to do. And that was what formed the law. It was the, the written account of how God wanted his people to live their lives. Now, just to mention before we get much further, you'll hear me speaking about law quite a lot. Just what I hope is a brief, helpful reminder. You know, we respect the law. It's intended purpose to bring God's people close to him, to let them know how to live their lives, to separate right from wrong. But as Jesus has fulfilled it now, that's not how we relate to God. So when I'm thinking of applying it in our context today, I'll, I'll speak about the word. So Nehemiah has managed to lead the people in this incredible uh, reversal of their situation because he knew the word of God. And he said to God, he comes back to God with God's own words. He said, if you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, I will gather your outcasts and bring them to the place I have chosen to make my name dwell there. Nehemiah's temerity, Nehemiah's boldness in asking God to turn around a desperate situation is found in God's word. He asked God to be faithful to what God has said he will do so long as his people do their part. So it's such a, a huge priority for Nehemiah and Ezra that once the wall is rebuilt and the people are gathered, that the law is read and that the people are helped to understand it. And that's why, uh, as we as a people uh, of God, whenever we have gathered throughout all of this pandemic as, as Burton Family Church, as Jubilee, we have maintained a weekly preach and have done so throughout. You know, it's, it illustrates what the, one of the responses from our life group to that question said, why do you read the Bible? And, and somebody replied, for hope 
and encouragement. And I, I trust, and it's my hope that throughout this regular um, preaching of, of God's word that we've had throughout this pandemic, that that has helped sustain all of our spirits. And that's, that's why it's such a high value for us. But we're going to see how people who've been living without the law, or as we would uh, in our situation call it, without the word of God, react next. So my second and third piece, the first is priority. The second and third one is, is priests and people. And what we see, we see two responses to the law being read. We see weeping and rejoicing. So, Nick, if we can have the second uh, uh, part of the chapter up, please. Uh, chapter, uh, sorry, from verse nine, please. Thank you. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people saying, be quiet for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Thank you. That's brilliant. Thank you for that, Nick. So the first reaction that we see um, from amongst the people is really quite telling. There, there is, we, we know they must have been weeping. They must have been um, sorrowful because we see that God's, uh, the, the leaders are having to say, don't mourn or weep. This is a day for rejoicing. It's a holy day. And perhaps, perhaps the people realised that they had been unfaithful, that they, uh, as Nehemiah had interceded on their behalf back, as we read in chapter one, that they hadn't kept the commandments that God had given them, that they hadn't lived in the best way that he'd intended or stayed true, true and, and close to him. But their hearts were not hard. They wept. And scholars infer that the reason behind this is perhaps the reading and teaching of the law might have been neglected in the generations since the first return from exile in Babylon. And so another helpful response on my uh, on, on our life group to when I said, why do you read the Bible? Somebody said for, for knowledge and instructions. You know, we know and, and that's so helpful because we know that we need God's word to know how to live our lives. And we see how the people responded without the word, without, as for them, it was the law being taught and being read and being explained. And I just wonder this morning, you know, perhaps there's something that you feel that you need to, to repent of, to, to change in your life. I'm not going to want to steal all of Ray's thunder um, because Ray will be preaching to us from chapter nine next week. But it's, it would seem from what we read in this passage that as the law has been read and explained that people fell under a, a sense of conviction um, that something needed to change. And actually, that's certainly what happened for me quite recently. I had felt that God's word had been illuminating something in my life that I needed to change. And so I made a step to sort it out. And then not long after it, a, a trusted friend came to me. Um, and spoke to me uh, in, in grace and in love 
and brought a challenge. You might remember a few weeks ago, Graham preaching um, from earlier in Nehemiah about gatekeepers. Part of the role of gatekeepers is to bring challenge in a healthy way. And um, for me, this was so helpful because it was somebody I, I knew and respected and loved. And they, they spoke to me and it confirmed that the sense of conviction that I'd been feeling, not condemnation, was correct. And just a word on that, just, you know, condemnation is that blanket sense of, oh, I'm rubbish, I'm awful, I can't do it. I'm, uh, and that's feeling of just sort of maybe a sort of a vague sense of negativity or, or, or otherwise, either about our value or, or what we're doing. But conviction is that very specific leading from the Holy Spirit that there's, there's this. We, come on, we need, to, we need to sort this out. We need to work on this. And I'm so grateful that, that, uh, that my friend came and spoke to me in this way that brought this challenge because actually it confirmed me that I had made the right step. And also, as the conversation, as we spoke about it, that confirmation actually repenting is not just turning around and making one step, but it's then continuing in that way. It's, it's keep on making those steps. So. I just want to say in that, you know, maybe you identify that and maybe it's something you know already, but maybe you need a, a friend to come alongside and help you with that. Well, bring it before God. But if you're not seeing that breakthrough, then 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 take a step. Either be the friend to speak in love or to seek out the friend who you need that help from. You see, it says in verse 11, the Levites calmed all the people. And I really hope that in some way that what God has laid on my heart will do that for, for people here today. Just one thing to mention, if you do feel like you take that step, once you've turned around, you know, don't, don't wallow in, in like remorse or self-deprecation, literally like kind of doing yourself down. None of us, myself included, none of us can punish enough for our own wrongdoing, our own sin. We need to be contrite of heart. We need to be sincere and genuine, but don't beat yourself up. Accept the truth that it says, you know, by his wounds, we are healed. It's through what Jesus has done that we are healed and forgiven. And just as I was thinking about today, I just, I just wondered, you know, maybe, maybe someone watching today, maybe you aren't a Christian today. Maybe you would describe yourself as agnostic or, or perhaps Christian by upbringing, but, but not by daily life or by choice. I just want to let you know that you know maybe it's it's the case that you've increasingly feeling that that you're lacking or that you've fallen short and I, I want to let you know today and, and and give you opportunity in a little while to respond to God on that because actually the bible says that everyone all of us sin all of us make mistakes and all of us fall short of the glory of god but the free gift of god is eternal life in christ jesus and you can know him today in place of appropriate sadness about sin, about wrongdoing. You can know grace and acceptance by your heavenly father through the work of his son on the cross. Because sorrow for that is a positive response. But the ultimate purpose, if we go back to this passage, the ultimate purpose of this teaching was joy at a renewed relationship with God. Returning to God does involve repenting, turning around. And as we've said, it seems like many of the people here in the passage were mourning and weeping. They had felt that. 
conviction. But Nehemiah and Ezra had determined it would be a holy day, a day of joy at that. And they're foreshadowing the grace that would be revealed in Jesus. So we've seen the people's reaction about weeping, and now we see rejoicing. Rejoicing. Go your way and eat and drink and make great rejoicing because they understood. When you come back to God, be it for the first time or the umpteenth time, it is a cause for joy. It is a cause for rejoicing. It says in scripture that it was for the joy set before him that Jesus endured the cross. He went through all of that for joy. His purpose to reconcile man to God, to reunite people with their creator, brings him joy. And you, you are his joy. We read in in scripture, almost the prayer, keep me as the apple of your eye, O God. Well, brothers and sisters, you've got to be the apple of his eye to be kept as such. Yeah? Having you as his brother, having you as his sister, as his daughter, as his son, that brings Jesus joy. You know, I I felt preparing this that maybe some of you were feeling like a sense of, oh, I'm, I'm a failure, I'm not good enough. You know, perhaps as T shared prophetically earlier, maybe some names have been spoken over you. But no, 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 let's brothers and sisters, you are basing your relationship with God on your performance. It was never about that, because if it was, you would never have known him. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but, but... The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's free, not in cost. It cost him everything, but free to those recipients of grace. So I'm just going to pray now. And if this is you, if this is maybe the first time and you think, I, I want this, I want this relationship with God. I haven't got it. I feel like there's something in me that's holding me back. I feel like I'm aware of the wrong I do. I want this. Then I'm just going to pray now. There'll be a button coming up afterwards on Church Online if you want to indicate that you've done that. But for now, let's just pray. Father, I thank you that just one person coming back to God, putting their trust in Jesus is cause of great rejoicing in heaven. Lord, and I pray for any who wouldn't know, wouldn't say confidently, they wouldn't feel that they could say, no, I'm a Christian. I pray that you would help them today to place their trust in you, to turn away from the life they have lived and accept your forgiveness and become a follower of yours. And ask that in your precious, precious name through your work on the cross, your resurrection from the death. Amen. If you pray that prayer, perhaps click the button um, that's there and, and Bex is there on the chat to, to chat with you. And, and I'll be joining later once this is over. If, if you would like to talk that through with somebody or perhaps find out more. So, brothers and sisters, what I want to say to you, for, for those of you who, who've known God maybe for a short while already for some time, is that it's this joy of knowing God that's going to sustain you. It was so 
um, I, I've deliberately, because of time, because of our time together, I, I haven't read on and read verses 13 on to verses um, 18 of the chapter. It mentions the Feast of Booths. Uh, that's just a feast about shelters, essentially, where the people of God made a shelter to remind themselves how God had been faithful to them and brought them out of the wilderness and into a place of security. And they intentionally made a shelter to remind them. And, and perhaps, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, in a year or two's time, we will have an annual Zoom church meeting. I think probably the sooner for many of us, the sooner we can be off Zoom, the better. But in times of comfort, it can be easy to forget God's deliverance of us uh, in times of ease, in times of blessing, when, as, as one of those uh, popular songs sings, when the sun is shining down on me and the world's all as it should be, we can forget sometimes God's goodness and God's grace. And, and perhaps that reminds you of a tradition that we still keep, that Jesus asked us to keep to remember what he'd done for us, sharing communion, literally that community coming together, remembering how God has rescued us. This realisation that the people had was they realised that they hadn't sort of fully followed all of what God had intended for them. And I submit to you that perhaps as we gather again, as we uh, exciting news that we're exploring, that hope, we're hoping that for those who feel comfortable to before long, we'll be able to meet in person again, that there may be things we realise, ah, Perhaps, perhaps we've neglected that. Perhaps we haven't managed to, to do that so well through, through this season of life. So we want to respond in, in grace and we want to respond in truth. And I just want to encourage you, as I have been encouraged, just let's prepare our hearts so that when we come together, if there's any, any, anything we need to do, any, any business we need to do with God, so that when we come together, we can all rejoice that there won't be uh, mourning or, or, or weeping, but we will just be delighting in the presence of God and in the company of our brothers and sisters. You know, just to conclude, just to, to draw to a close, I asked you a question at the start and I asked you, why do you read the Bible? And such helpful thoughts came through, you know, um, hope and encouragement, knowledge and instructions, guidance from God. But I left out, possibly, arguably the most important reason, so we can meet with God. Because God's word doesn't just tell us what to do, it tells us who God is and who we are. We read the Bible so we can meet with God. Earlier in John, it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The prophecy, history, poetry, testimony, wisdom, authority, mercy, the legacy of Jesus that is contained in, in these pages. You know, God's word is a lamp to our feet, a compass to give us our sense of direction, wisdom for the ages, the, the account of our saviour and his disciples, those precepts for living a good life. It is, it is a treasure trove of grace. So let's make sure we read it with the right perspective. Just as we finish, I also wonder whether maybe some of us, for some of us, we did have that sense of our oh, reading this is, it's, oh, I have to. 
And maybe it's it's just been a bit like, you know, when you go and see a, a 3D film, not that I've been to the cinema or any of us have for a long time, but you go along to see one of those 3D films and it's like you're trying to watch it without the glasses off. It's a bit fuzzy and the perspective is skewed. I feel God doesn't want you today to be disenchanted with his word or discouraged, but he wants you to be enchanted. He wants you to be encouraged. He wants your hearts and minds to be filled with his love afresh. Today can be your own personal covenant renewal ceremony founded on his promise to you, found in his word. So I'm just going to pray for us for a renewal of his embrace. I'm going to use some, some verses from John and then, uh, and then we'll draw to a close. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Father, I just want to pray that as we are in our homes now, that we may know what it is to abide in your love and that your joy, the joy you have in us, we may return and that we may know your joy in our lives, that as Nehemiah declared that the joy of the Lord will be our strength. The passage goes on and says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. I pray that we would love one another now. And I pray that when we were gathered together, we would do that. We would read your word. We would abide in your love. We would meet with you, the living God. And that as a people together, we would speak life and hope and encouragement to one another. In your name, we pray. Amen. Sunday morning.